Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. It's Sunday, that must mean it's time for the bookworm on fabradiointernational.com. For those who are new to town, you can find us on Twitter, Tumblr and Facebook at Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Mixcloud and you can now find us on iTunes via the Starburst magazine website. I think that's all the social media covered for now. So let's get on with what's going on in the show. We're going to be talking about Fiefdom by Dan Abner and Nick Vincent. We're going to be talking about Death Sentence by Monty Nero and uh, Mr. Dowling. We're also going to be introduce, interviewing, introducing, interviewing Adrian Tchaikovsky. And as you may have gathered, it's just me, Ed Fortune, today because Ninfu is away in Atlantis yet again. So, um, oh, and also... And me. Oh, yes, and the producer, Al. So coming up next, we're going to have some book news. So the strains of Doctor Who, which to our ears sounds like a news report, must mean it's time for some book news, and it's been a busy week in the world of books. Um, so shall we start with the first one, then? Yes. <laughs> so Hugh Howie. Um, now, now, Hugh Howie has uh, led... He's not the creator of, but he's the most um, significant figure in a petition to Amazon. Um, it starts like this. You may be urged to boycott Amazon, but but, but a, a call to boycott Amazon is unavoidably a call to boycott authors who can't get their books in any or other stores. Boycotting Amazon is unavoidably a call for higher ebook prices. Boycotting Am- Amazon is preventing us from reaching you. It is an end of independence. So, yes... Uh, this this sounds a little strange, to be perfectly honest. It's really weird. Um, it's about 3,000 words. I'm not going to read the entire thing out. Um, it says things like, The best way to support Hatchet's offers is to, is by showing Hachetti where you prefer to get your books. Let Hachetti know that you agree with Amazon, uh, uh, Amazon that e-books should not cost more than paperbacks. Help urge Hachetti to stop hurting its own writers. Help what? Us, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is what? this has been signed by a bunch of mostly small press authors. Hugh Howie sees himself as a champion of small press authors. Uh, I've met Hugh Howie; he's a lovely guy. I always say this when Hugh Howie hits the news. Um, he is a lovely guy. His his approach to things is he's very much a champion of the small press and of you know ebook publishing because that's how he made his his big mark. But he's also published by one of the big five. He's he's in the Random Penguin. In fact, the reason I know who he is is because of Random Penguin. The reason he was on a world tour was because of Random Penguin. So, mm, other writers such as Chuck Wendig and John Scalzi have not responded kindly to this particular petition. Uh, You can have a a browse on on our website. You can have a browse on the internet in general. Um, Chuck's response is hilarious Scarlett's response is sensible there is a thing that happens now every time there's a writing scandal shall we say um, or someone does something a bit odd other writers respond and it's all it's all grist to the mill you know people go to Scarlett to get an opinion or people go to Wendy to get an opinion because writers are quite good at expressing themselves then they tend to read and write in a very interesting way read it and it's you know it's entertaining and it's very much part of their public persona as well. It's a way of promoting themselves. So, you know, always read that sort of thing with a slight, you know, a slight kind of understanding of the biases there. It is, all of this stuff tends to be designed to get you to pay attention to them. So more hyperbole than normal. But yeah, it is weird. 
you know, why, why does Amazon need a love letter? It really, it really doesn't. It, it is attracting a monopoly. You know, it, it owns. My understanding is Amazon owns A Books, the sort of antiquated second-hand sellers market, as well as its own thing. You know, so it, it's just hoovering everything up. And a monopoly is always a bad idea, because then it because then it's one slippery slope away from. I don't think you should be reading that book. Therefore, I'm not going to allow you to have it. I mean, I mean, fair play. Um, we get we get stuff for the show via Amazon. Um, Audible, who are part of Amazon, provide us with stuff to listen to that we occasionally review. Um, same deal. Golants send us books by you know by the hot load. Um, Golants are part of Hachette, by the by, just in case you hadn't worked that out. Um, so it's just a weird thing to do, anyway. So that's the first bit of good news. Is, is it not also sort of? I can't be fagged to go to an actual bookstore. Um, please make it so I can just clicky on the clicky and send me a book through the, through the ethereal postal system. Shall we get our lovely, lovely producer of things, Phoenix Dark Knight, to do us some shop at your local bookstore ads? Just, just some run. I tell you what, if you're listening to the show in your local bookstore, um, the first few that get in touch with us, we can't do all of them, but if you're a local, if you're an independent bookstore, get in touch with us and we'll sort you out with a radio advert for the show and you can use that somewhere else. So if you're listening to the show, get in touch and we'll sort you out with it. It won't, won't be anything very fancy. But we'll do you a little independent bookstore advert. Um, and we won't play it all the time, but you know, we'll, we'll make one. It'll be fun. Um, the producers have given me such a look. Um, Brian Stavely in, has invited us to hunt down pieces to his sequel to the Emperor, Emperor's Blades. Want to play a global game, says the copy. Uh, the hunt is on. Brian Stavely has created a scavenger hunt for you. Re- want to read an excerpt from his new, next new novel uh, in his chronicle, to the chronicle of the Unhuman Throne Trilogy? Just find the right book. It's sort of like a golden ticket. There's clues on his site. It's, uh, it's a scavenger hunt. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit silly, really. Um, uh, shall, shall, we, shall we talk about the, the elephant in the uh, Apologies, I'm, I'm making strange noises because the, I don't even know what's on the floor of the studio, but my chair is rattling over it in, in an incomprehensible way. Has, has the studio been on an adventure again? <laughs> Regular listeners will know, of course, that... We are, in fact, in a TARDIS right now. If you look at photos for the Fab Radio Station, um, this is a TARDIS-shaped um, st- studio cabin, and uh, all sorts. We c- we come in here, and you know, we'll find we'll find a stormtrooper just sitting in the corner, um, not you know, moving or anything, dead, obviously, but you know, full full stormtrooper. You're sitting. not making this better, no. really not. Well, well, there was that time that we just found like a thin layer of goo everywhere. It was just anyway. Um, Obviously, something. The scavenger hunt sounds fun. Yes, it sounds quite fun. Shall we? Shall we also talk about if you are a writer of dark paranormal, a dark fantasy, urban fantasy, and paranormal romance, then you might be interested to learn that Crushing Hearts and Black Butterfly Publishing. Oh, there. Good name. Yeah, there's a creaking on my chair. Crushing Hearts and Black Butterfly Publishing have open submissions. Uh, you can get in touch with them via. Via crushing hearts and black um, and yeah, it's kind of cool. Oh dear, the book police have caught up with us. Have the book police caught up with us? <laughs> oh dear me. Um, so yes. Oh, sad news. U.S. World Book Night has suspended operations. Have they said why? Uh, funding has been cut, as I understand. So public money was being spent, mm. and in the U. 
UK and Europe, it's it's EU money. Ah. So, yeah. This is why we like the EU, because otherwise the arts in this country would be in even more trouble. Yep. So, so arts funding, arts funding in the US. Ooh, politics. Ooh, politics. Arts funding in the US is always a hotter topic than it is even in this country. It's a hot topic in this country. Mm. Um, and um, it, it, the the problem I always have an issue with is there's loads of money for kids to do things, and that's fantastic. Kids should be doing books and arts and music and circus skills and all the rest of it. But then when you hit 18 or 21 or 25, the money just mysteriously stops. And why can't adults do stuff? Why shouldn't adults be encouraged to try things that they might not otherwise have done? Well, the UK World Book Night makes a big point of adult literacy mm. as well. Because there's a, there's a thing for kids, which is earlier in the year. Because mm. it is still shocking how many people leave school and these days now it will be a college as well with um literacy standards that are nowhere near what they should be i don't even really understand how that happens but it does it should be worth pointing out that uk world book night in fact world book night in general is not the same as the thing where kids pay, play dress up and go to school dressed that's a different that's world book day that's mm-hmm. a different thing. and i have issues with super mario um being a book character but There's a video hey, game character that has books game. written about it. It's tenuous, isn't it? Well, Spider-Man is technically technically a movie star slash comic book character. He's not a book character, even though the comic comic books are books. Comic books are books. But should should Spider-Man turn up in in your your primary school because it's World Book Day? Well, yes, because there should always be a Spider-Man in anything that's meant <laughs> to dress, including the the nativity. Uh, the nativity should have a Spider-Man. Um, your your 15th century reenactment if it involves six year olds should have a Spider-Man um, <laughs> any any stage play has a Spider-Man um, sadder news uh, Terry Pratchett is unwell we've known this for some time uh, he's had to cancel his, cancel his attendance at the Discworld, Conven- uh, Discworld Convention uh, later this summer the International Discworld Convention in Manchester in fact um, the invigorance is finally catching up with me Pratchett made mm. the announcement he describes described with great reluctance um i've been putting off writing this announcement for quite some time and the good days uh, and on good days i thought i wouldn't have to write it at all wrote the offer i'm very sorry about this we've been dodging the effects of pca and, and i've been able to write for much longer than any of us thought possible but now the embargoance has finally it's finally catching up with me along with other age-related elements oh. it's oh oh we're very sad. Mm. There's, there's no other way of putting it. We're very sad. Um, we, we debated putting this in the news because, you know, we would just be us going, oh, but I, I don't think there's a person who, who, certainly UK book scene, I don't think there's anyone who isn't just, just very sad about the entire situation. Um, you can't even say get well soon. No, in, in some ways, the fact that he is so prominent and has this disease has made it more prominent. Um, and it is now probably more talked about than it was five years ago. Um, and that can only be a good thing. Um, and Terry is in the fortunate position that he's been able to give a very large sum of money to research, which I think he admits is probably not going to help him, but might help others in the future. Um, but it's still horrific. No. Something positive author Mandy Mulholland has a wonderful, wonderful rant about Terry Pratchett. And how you know it's, it's a combination of grief, anger, and the the, the his his fervent desire that supervillains were, were, were are in fact real, <laughs> because he would totally, totally if Doctor Doom 
um, was a fan of Terry Pratchett and was in the real world, this shit would have been sorted by now. <laughs> um, cheerful news. Um, Chris Hadfield, Guy Gavril. But, 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 cheerful news for Terry. He's writing another book at the moment. Yay! Yay. Um, yes, that, that was the tweet that came just before that one, which everybody has ignored. Um, I, I still haven't read Raising Steam. Mm. Well, I should I should buy it for the wife. She's a massive fan of Steam books. Yes. Uh, so, uh, happy news. Uh, the Order of Canada has been given to Guy Gavrilke. Oh, Gavrilke-y. Canada. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Uh, Chris Hadfield, Guy Gavrilke and Rick Mercer have all to get the Order of Canada. Obviously, Guy Gavrilke has a book coming out. Um so you should read that if you like his stuff. And um, finally, book benches. Book benches. It's a thing in London. Uh, rather like a couple of years ago for the Olympics, they did um, Wenlock and Mandeville, who were the two Olympic mascots, dressed in various sort of British outfits. So there was a Sherlock Holmes and there was a phone box and there was a Knight of the Realm in armour and, um, so and so on and so forth. Uh, th- then this year they're doing book benches. Um, from the, uh, is it Book Literacy Trust? Yes. Uh, and there's about four walks around London with benches painted with various sort of scenes from books. Um, there's one along um, the south bank of the river, one in Bohemia, one in the city, uh, and one somewhere else that I forget. Um, and you, the idea is that you walk around the trails um, and you can maybe have your pitch taken with them. Um, I happened to be on a flying visit to London uh, earlier this week, and I saw one of them at Waterloo, but alas, did not have the time to get a photograph because Waterloo Station was rammed at 7 o'clock in the evening. Um, but, yeah, they look pretty, uh, they look substantial, um, and they're going to flog them off for charity in the autumn. Mm-hmm. We will put a link up on uh, our various social media things to um, the page of the website where you can download the maps and follow the trails. There is a Sherlock Holmes one, uh, which various Sherlock fans are going to attempt to meet up at possibly sometime this weekend, some weekend very soon, I believe. Certainly with the Venlock Mandeville ones, it was an excuse for an excellent walk. Yes. Um, I, I really wanted to get myself, I didn't, don't, don't have any money, so it was never going to happen, but I wanted to get myself one of those Venlock Mandeville ones, mostly because a very dear friend of mine um, is terrified of Venlock Mandeville, and I wanted to put it outside his house. Um, ah, Officer Wenlock is watching you. Officer Wenlock is watching you. Um... Yes, but they look they look lovely, and mm. frankly, I want to sit on poo. So. <laughs> uh, the the oh. fact that we have run out of bed should perhaps tell you that we should move along now. Oh. So first up, I'm going to talk about Fighting, written by Nick Vincent and Dan Abnett. Um, just a little bit about the authors. Um, Dan Abnett, we've talked about on the show before. He is a great writer of military sci-fi. He's well-known for his uh, action scenes. Uh, Nick Vincent is a freelance editor mostly, but she's also uh, written an awful lot of ghost writing. She's a lot of stuff that you have read, but you have no idea who she is. Um, you're one of those unsung heroes of the publishing industry. Um, she's worked with Dan on some pretty major pro- projects all the way through her career. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're an excellent team, and they produce some very, very interesting stuff indeed. So it's nice to see them working together on Fiefdom. Fiefdom is a novelization um, inspired by a comic book in 2008, a comic strip in 2008. Um, it's a separate story. It's uh, separate from um, the comic book in the comic strip in 2008. So if you don't know the comic strip in 2008, or if you've never heard of Kingdom, well, you've missed out for a start. 
but also you don't need that to read fiefdom. So all of that, all of that preamble, what on earth is it about? It's set in the distant future, mankind is the stuff of legend, civilization has long been destroyed by insect-like monsters, basically giant monsters, um, known as them, or referred to by the Alks as them. The only things that are left that are fighting these horrible, horrible creatures are literally dog soldiers, uh, genetically engineered um, troops um, that have bred and continue to be um, just essentially keeping keeping the monsters at bay. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic world. Um, clearly, horrible, horrible things have happened. Them have been banished. When when the when the story starts, them them have been gone for quite some time, um, and the various creatures running around have gotten on with their lives essentially um, and the story focuses on a young aux called Evelyn War. yes Evelyn War, but spelt W-E-R uh, she is a believer she believes that um, there was no time that they are voices and that the master's voice is a thing there were creatures known as the masters who existed and they were set to keep them off mankind's lawn this is set in the ruins of Berlin, and the 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 the, the have just got on with their lives. The pack have just got on with their lives, and they've gone got on with what they're doing. Everyone else thinks that Evan Moore is crazy. They can't hear the master's voice. They don't understand the master's voice. They think that there's something wrong with her head. Um, one of her close friends, who's who's an old teller of tales, tells all these various tales, and he claims to also be able to hear the master's voice. Some are listeners, some are believers. Most people can't hear this voice. The thing is, the voices are right. Them are returning. The monsters are coming back. The civilization that these creatures have got themselves together is about to fall apart. And the only people who are the only the only people who really can do anything about it are those who are prepared. Um, just to give you a fair warning, this book is full of puns. It is massively full of puns because it's Dan Abnett. It's Dan, Dan and Nick, and they love their puns. So here are some character names for you. Oscar Saul Wilde, Dorothy Barker, Walter Seckett, Ben Gunn, There's a Pound, and so on. Um, I found some, I, I marked some great ones out, but I've got a slightly different copy in my hands right now at the moment. Uh, Holman Hunt. It's just it, John Steele. There's just some absolutely fantastic Damien Hetz. Damien Hetz. Um, there's a wonderful bit in Kingdom where one of the one of the masters explains a bit of the backstory to Gene the Hatman, and he says you're all named after stars, and he doesn't understand because there is a cultural gap. There's been thousands of years since mankind created these creatures and then went cryosleep. So mankind have, have hidden, they've gone away, maybe they've gone forever and we don't know. Uh, by the time five of them starts, we have no idea what's happened to mankind. Mankind might have vanished a long, long time ago and left these creatures. But they know they're named after the stars because the story's been passed on that they've been named after the stars. So they look to the sky. Um, it's, it's an action-paced, military sci-fi, post-apocalyptic adventure book with a heavy grounding in actual literature. And it's beautiful. It it will take you even if you are if you're if you're a relatively slow reader, it'll take you a week. If you are a freak like myself, it'll take you an hour and a half. Um, 
To be fair, that that is quite freaky. Uh, yeah. Hold, uh, hold up the book. Okay, so it's, it's not, you're not you can't kill a man with that, so no, it's not no, massively thick. It's, 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 it's a nice, lightly sized. I think it's about three hundred pages. Um, you know, four hundred pages about. Um, you know, it's a reasonably sized book. Uh, it's quite fun. It's because Dan has this very kind of easy flowing style. And the thing I've noticed when when Dan and Nick work together is that the pace is much more even. Even. Uh, one of the things that Dan's work has been criticised of in the past is it tends to go slow, 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 hurry, and then everything happens in the last hundred pages. Um, when it's Dan and Nick, it tends to be much more even paced. It tends to be slow, then very quick, then slow, then very quick. It becomes more of a waltz than a samba. Uh, I, I, I like it a lot. I like Fyfdom an awful lot. I love the main characters. I love the world of Kingdom in general. Um, this is a book that's inspired by 2008 comic strip, but you've read 2008 comic strip. If you've not read Kingdom, you have missed out. So this is part of a series. This is the start of a series. This is the start of a series. I would, I would severely hope it is the start of a series. Um, it's, it's kind of like the novelisation of you. You know, you only know have the novelisation of a TV show, but the novelisations have nothing to do with the TV show, and they have a different cast of characters, but it's set in the same world. Like the Star Wars books. Okay. Oh, right. So like Doctor Who um, books. Like like the Doctor Who books. Okay. Um, Same sort of thing. So you don't have to be familiar with Kingdom at all. All the features, all the things that happen in Kingdom are legends in this. This is set up a few hundred years after the events of Kingdom. And And Kingdom is set like 2,000 years in the future. So, yeah, it's a very strange post apocalyptic world. It's got giant insect monsters in it. So if you like giant insect monsters, there's that as well. Uh, I love the way that the giant praying mantis things are called priest bugs. Because they're praying mantises. And so on. Um, so yeah, Xenoroptera, I believe they're called. The flying ones. Um, fantastically well put together. Just a lot of fun. It's not a gentle book. It's not a subtle book. It's got lots of explosion in it. explosions in it. It's full of cinematic action. It is very cinematic. It, it feels like someone should go come along and turn this into a movie. But they never will. Um, he says cynically because it's too interesting um, and the main character isn't human the main characters aren't human none of the main characters are human they're all they're all genetically engineered creatures so no one's ever going to turn that into a, a TV programme so where can I buy the book and, and who's it by and who's it published by and all that it's published by Abaddon uh, they are part of Rebellion who do 2000 it is by Nick Vincent and it is by a Mr. Dan Abnett. It is called A Fiefdom, a Kingdom novel. If you're familiar with the Kingdom series from 2008, you should be interested. If you're, if you're interested in Dan Abnett, you should be interested. If you're familiar with Nick Vincent, then you are amazing. And you should get it as well. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. We should get them on the show if we can. Um, so coming up next, I believe, talking about insects, we have, a, we have an interview coming up with a chap who writes an awful lot about insects. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Hello, listeners. So we caught up with Adrian Jankowski, who's just finished his 10-book mega-epic fantasy epic, Shadows of the Apt. Um, one of these days, we will do a show on Shadows of the Apt when myself, producer Al, and Linfa have read them all. But there's 10 books, so it might be a while. Um, we caught up with him. The quality is not unusual. We've had a slight problem with the equipment for some reason. Sometimes this happens. We have done our best to tidy it up, but we can only apologise. So here is 10 minutes with Adrian Tchaikovsky. 
Embrace the Alternative with Fab Radio. Welcome to the Bookworm, Adrian Tchaikovsky. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, for those who don't know your work, can you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your books, please? Um, yeah, I, well, I wrote a series called The Shadows of the Alps, the last book of which is actually out this July, in just a few weeks. It's an epic fantasy series about people who have the abilities of insects, in which I kind of carved my own corner of the fantasy genre, so I'm not aware of anyone else who's doing that. Uh, it's got a lot of steampunk technology in it. It's got a real march of progress, almost a science fiction sort of plotline, and uh, the war between the Wasp Empire and the other races kind of goes by an invention and counter-invention route, so that by the end of the series, the world you're left with is going to be completely different to the world you started off with. When you say insect powers, how does that influence the world? Well, it's what they call in the world the art, and to us as a reader, it's obviously magical enough to fly to kind of stings in their hands, that kind of thing. To the people of the world, it's absolutely normal. Everyone can do it, and the different uh, races, the different kingdoms, each have their <coughs> abilities appropriate to their kind of totem insects. So the world is very different purely because there's such a, a, a wide use of magical or unusual abilities. So you get the entire race of the people who can fly jobs that completely change the state, the way they fight, the way they build. Um, other, other races can see in the dark. Um, other races are unusually strong, unusually durable, that kind of thing. Why the obsession of insects? Uh, well, I had, I get asked this question a lot, oddly enough. And I had a very, very kind of literary and intellectual answer about how insects are often used to show facets of the human personality, such as in um, Kafka and Pelican and that kind of thing. But I, in all honesty, I really like insects. And that kind of all it comes down to. I've always been a, a fan of insects. I seem to react to insects in a fairly different way to most people. I don't have that kind of innate horror of them that a lot of people have. And I wanted to kind of book away insect archetypes insect characteristics were basically being shown as a positive thing, rather than a thing that only really associated with villains. Uh, your work is up for a Gemmel Award, if memory serves, so you've recently been nominated. How does that yeah. work, and how does that affect everything else? I don't know. I've never been nominated for anything before. <laughs> so I have no idea what sort of effect it's likely to have. I mean, it's, it's really, really nice to be, to be recognised in that way. With the, um, I mean, the Gemmel Award is essentially a, a popular vote. It means that all, an awful lot of people have obviously felt uh, more associated with enough to, to vote for. It, 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 it's a lovely piece of recognition. It's a huge confidence booster, really. What sort of fantasy work inspires you? Um, I, what inspires me is when people take risks, especially taking risks with the setting. I, mean, I don't tend to like stuff that's that is about elves or dwarves or all the kind of the usual fantasy trappings. Uh, I mean, those things can be done extremely well. For example, I don't normally like stuff about dragons, but I love Naomi Novak's uh, Tamarai series because it's a really different take on it. But the, I don't, I find that the sort of stock fantasy stuff doesn't interest me. Certainly doesn't, doesn't interest me anymore. I really like people who have, do have very new spins on the genre. I mean, I like Cameron Hurley's work, for example. She's one of the most imaginative writers I know. Um, it's, I, I like, I like people who are prepared to take risks with, uh, with the, with the settings, with the characters, uh, with the structure of, of their books. 
both Novak and Hurley's work have uh, not only unique worlds, but also unique technologies. I, have you ever been tempted to go for science fiction? Well, I am um, more than tempted. Uh, I've got a science fiction novel under contract with Tor that will be coming out, I think, mid, mid next year, which is called Porsche's Children, and uh, can't say a huge amount about it at the moment, but that, that is, is, is almost, almost a, an extension of the sort of thing I'm doing in fantasy by other means. Um, science fiction is a very different bag. I was, I felt I had to, I worked very hard because I, I'm, I feel quite conscientious of it and I'm doing science fiction. I worked very hard to make sure the science was as good as I could make it. Um, I like the idea of doing hard science fiction and actually having some of the flaws that could plausibly happen with, you know, with science as we currently know it. Can you that give us... That, well, that, that being said, also in Porsche's Children, there is a certain amount of complete hand-waving magic to make some of the things work, which I've just had to write off to very advanced science because <laughs> of that. Can you give us even the elevator pitch for Porsche's children? Um, yeah. Our society will go to the stars. We'll terraform planets. We'll make new worlds our own. And then we will crash. We will basically turn on each other. We will enter a new dark age. And then, much later on, the survivors of that dark age will crawl back into space again, running out of resources from a, a planet that is basically poisoned by the previous war. And they will lurch out into space in a great big arc ship to exalt the last chance of survival of humanity, only to find that the things that they left out in space are still there and have become something new and strange. It's kind of a humanity goes back in space after all those years and discovers that its greatest fears are waiting for it. If you got the opportunity to play in someone else's fictional sandpit and write fiction for, say, another franchise or work with someone else, who or what would that be? That is, that's a really tough question. Um, what I, I'd like to, I mean, I, I have some thoughts about doing some sort of dying earth, um, sort of Jack Vance or Gene Wolfe or M. John Harris and that kind of thing. And, but all of their, one of the things that attracts me to that kind of genre is it seems to lend itself to very detailed worlds. And there was a book recently of, of stories written in the, the Jack Vance, uh, dying earth setting by all sorts of people, Neil Gaiman and, and authors and others, and I feel I could certainly have a crack at that, and that would be great fun. I'd love to write something in um, the book of the New Sun world. Again, because there's so much material there, and there's so much that is left unexplored, you kind of feel that you could keep walking in that world and keep finding new stuff. There's worlds like that that really attract me as a writer and as a reader. What? Um, sorry, I'll say again. A great many uh, fantasy authors and science fiction authors also seem to be fantasy gamers. Why is that? Um, to a certain extent, I think it's just a generational thing. I mean, I was, I guess, not quite at the forefront of gaming, but I was, well, I was in a generation when Dungeons and Dragons were a relatively new thing, especially in the UK, and everyone was was playing it when I was when I was in secondary school. And I guess if you're the sort of person who's going to go on and to write books, you're almost certainly the sort of person who's going to be trying, playing that sort of game when it is the thing that all of the, well, I guess if I don't want to all of the cool kids, but all, uh, that you're, that all, everyone of a certain mindset is playing. So myself and most of my peers um, who are currently writing have come out of that, uh, have come out of that environment and are, or, or have been very keen gamers. I think it also, it helped, it helps a great deal with certain aspects of the writing. I think that, it, I mean, being a gamer helps with characterization, helps you with world building. And I got a whole 
I've given a whole talk before on why the current obsession with more and grey heroes and more and heroes who act in a fairly realistic and what's generally referred to as gritty way has very much come out of that kind of gaming past because you you can't really do the Tolkien with a group of adventurers because they won't do what they're supposed to because they'll get it wrong or they'll act out of self-interest and greed rather than sort of heroic high-mindedness and I think they, the, the gamers amongst us as writers have come out with that idea of heroes are imperfect because heroes are basically player characters. Is the plethora of grimdark stories a good thing, do you think? I I think anything can be overdone. Um, I, I mean, I'm not saying we've necessarily got to the point where the, the, the fiction world is saturated with, with grimdark, but I think that, grim, that that kind of mentality, that kind of more realistic, down-to-earth characters with human motive, with human motivations in worlds where it's Nothing is really black and white. I think that is a good thing, to be honest. I think it's, it, it gave, given the the genre a lot more uh, than people than, than people realise. I mean, if you we've kind of unthrown the the kind of jolly party of princes on their on their quest to go into every corner of the map, sort of sort of fantasy. I I think the stuff we've got now is. I'm, sorry, can I ask a question? Can of course, you can. Of course, you can. I'm completely losing my train of thought. Uh, do, you want, do you want to ask, ask the question again? Um, is the plethora of Grimdark a good thing? Um, yes, I, th- I think it is, to be honest. I think that it's a welcome shaker to the genre. Um, when, it, when it came in, adding that kind of level of, of moral ambiguity or realistic human motive to fantasy has given the genre a lot of depth. I mean, like everything, I'm sure you've been able to do it. I'm sure if we ended up where, in a situation where everyone was basically writing the same thing, then it would get old fairly quickly, but I don't think we've reached that kind of saturation point. Which of your particular works would you like to see turned into another media, and what sort of media would you like to see them turned into? I, I'd love to see some sort of comic or graphic novel of Shadows of the Apt. I think that would work very nicely. Not, not necessarily following the plot of the books, but just using the world. And as, as I said before, I, I like world go on into the distance, and I've I done my best to create one in that series. As far as things like films, I think Shadows of the Out would be very, very difficult to bring to the screen because it's a fairly high-concept fantasy. There's a lot of um, conventions that the readership or an audience would have to get by, but both of the projects I've got coming out next year, the Fantasy Guns of the Dawn, which is kind of a Napoleonic era fantasy, and the science fiction market would make very good uh, would, would, would do very well brought to a small or large screen. And, rather silly question, but if you were stuck on a desert island with a single group of company, what would it be? I think it would probably be The Spoke of the Air by Peter Beagle, which is a book that sadly very few people even seem to have heard of. It's my favourite book and I have read it so many times that I think I have no limit to the number of times I can just go back and read it again and again. And uh, three very silly questions to finish off, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simpsons or Futurama? I'm sorry, could you speak that? Simpsons or Futurama? Futurama, definitely. Never really clicked with the, uh, with the Simpsons, but I love Futurama. Wasps or ants? Um, God, that's a question. Uh, I guess it would depend on the purpose I wanted them for. Uh, but uh, in general, I guess wasps, actually, which, which is odd since I've made them my villains, but... And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. 
Adrian Charkovsky, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fabrician International. And thank you again to Jim Tchaikovsky for doing the interview. And apologies again about the quality of the, the tape. Uh, we have since changed all of the equipment. So um, future interviews should be much better. So I'm sorry about that. But um, hopefully you enjoyed that. So uh, coming up next, I'm going to talk about a death sentence um, by a chap called Monty Enuo, who is the writer, and it's uh, illustrated by Mike Darling. This is in fact a comic book. Uh, it's published by Titan Books. Uh, Titan, Titan Comics do all sorts of interesting comic books, I think that's the best way to describe them. They tend to be slightly left of centre, certainly not part of your mainstream, Certainly, in fact, kind of beyond uh, what we would expect from Rebellion as well, beyond what we expect from the 2008 stable, certainly very far away from what we expect from Marvel and DC. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of revolutionary and kind of different in many, many different ways. So, the world of Death Sentence, there is a virus called the G Plus virus, which is not social media. Um, and what the G Plus virus does is it gives you superpowers. It lays in your body for, for ages. You, you don't know if you've got it, and then suddenly one day you wake up and you can blow up walls with a glance. Uh, and it's like, oh dear, I, I have the G-plus virus. I will spend the next six months with amazing superpowers, and then I will die. So, you know, you get... Seems a tad harsh. You, you get... Um, yeah, you, you, you kind of... You, you get six months to live, and then that's it. It is more than a tad harsh, I think. Uh, if you, if anyone who's listening to this show remembers Strike Force Moratiri, the Naz, or even Rising Stars, it's that sort of a thing. Um, so the idea of normal everyday people suddenly getting superpowers is a trope of the superhero comic book genre. Heroes, the TV series, Misfits, the TV series, um, less so the movies. I mean, you know, Chronicle kind of does it, but it's not a massive, you know. Powers being handed out to the hyperloy is, is not exactly a, um, a thing that's been on TV, but certainly it's a common thing in comic books. Um, the thing that Neo and Dowling do as a as a as a kind of new thing is they add this limited lifespan. So, and because it's sexually transmitted disease, it also tends to be things that young people get. So most of these most of these people are near 24, 27 that sort of, you know, that sort of youngish age, they're in their 20s um, they're, they're going to explode at some point, and it follows the uh, the life story of three particular idiots I think idiots is an entirely fair way of putting it so, let's see, we have Verity who's a young lady, she's a struggling artist, she suddenly gets the power to uh, mutate light and sound and shapes and she can move stuff around um, she quits oddly oddly enough she discovers that she's dying so she, she quits her, her rubbish job um, she doesn't have any money she gets on with the rest she tries to get on with the rest of her life meanwhile there's a pop star called weasel uh, weasel is not very good at pop but yeah pop goes the is that because their name is weasel for goodness sake pop goes the weasel you see the whole whole pun there uh, he he is he is not worth it. 
but he is he is awful essentially he's an awful slimy slimy git um who happens to develop some powers doesn't have much talent is all about the fame i'm talking about all all about the fame um there's one more chap who do you know what he's basically russell grand let's be honest he's he's called monty um he's 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 russell brand he's a comedian he says outrageous things Whereas, whereas Weasel's power is the ability to get out of trouble by essentially phasing through things, Monty's power is the ability to make you do anything that you want. Now, this is one of the flaws of the books. Monty is a complete cat, can make people do whatever he wants, and is young and self-centred. And male. I'm not going to paint you a picture, but if you're the sort of person who's skeeved out by that sort of thing and then avoid it avoid death sentence because it's skeevy there's a you know he uses creepy mind control powers to make people do, to make nuns behave in a way that nuns would not want to behave normally and then he gets past the consequences of those acts by using his mind control powers to tell the police to go away so if you hate that sort of thing then then avoid the book sorry to say um which is a pity because mostly Mostly, if we can kind of glide past a lot of that, it is fun. Monty is the villain, quite clearly. He does horrible things with his powers. He has no responsibility. But none of the characters have... There's none of this, I have developed superpowers, I must go and save the world. You're going to die in six months. Let's run around and do as, you know do what you want and use your powers to do what you want as much as you can. The results are catastrophic for the world. Um... Giving the power of the gods to um, young people who are about to die turns out to be a terrible idea. Um, it's, it's actually really, it's an examination of growing up, of course it is. It's an examination of the fact that, you know, your 20s are a time when you really have no idea what you're doing. It's an examination of living for the moment. It's an examination of art, and it's got an awful lot of boobs in it. Uh, it's got more than its fair share of sex it's got some fantastic swear words in it um the artwork is pretty but it's also rough and i think it's a good way of describing the book itself it is pretty and it is also quite rough it's pretty dark in places as my uh, trigger warning might have given you the hint um there's some there's some weird design ideas i've said this before elsewhere but verity who's pretty much the main character and the character we're supposed to sympathize um, she she spontaneously acquires a hat. I don't know why. Uh, on the cover, she has a because hats are cool. Hats are cool. She has this cute little bunny rabbit hat, and it, it appears in her dreams. And towards the end, uh, this hat spontaneously appears. I, I can only imagine it's something about the hat, or maybe they just like the hat. I have no idea. Um, I liked Death Sentence. It's not for everyone. Uh, if you love certain sort of, you know, if you like Misfits you'll like Death Sentence um, if you remember the Naz or Strike Force Motui, you'll like this as well uh, if you think that with great power comes great trouble rather than great responsibility then you'll enjoy it immensely it's not your start standard comic book and it's certainly not one for free comic book day but it is fun. And and who publishes it? Where can you get it? Titan Comics uh, titancomics.com uh, and it's written by uh, Mike Dowling and Monty Aniro. And we'll put some sort of link to some sort of facility about it on our some sort of social media thing. Yes, we shall. 
So, um, <laughs> if you're listening to the show live, um, which most of you don't... Mm, because uh, you're probably American and you're probably in bed right now. Or, you know, it's or you're probably English and you're also asleep right now. Because <laughs> it's midday. Um, it is Sunday. It is the day of rest. We would not be out of bed if we didn't have to be here. Um, you'd have heard an advert for Star Wars Fest at the Printworks. And it sound, it just sounds charmingly, charmingly, charmingly English. And also charmingly, charmingly Star Wars. Um, there's a wonderful documentary coming out, actually, about the people who go around the conventions who are, you know, Derek Lyons and the like who are, you know, stop your rebel scum, and these people who have this one walk-on role sometime in the 70s, and that somehow they've been able to make it part of their acting career. And it's fair play to them. But, um, yeah, there's a documentary, it's currently being kick-started, I believe it's been successfully funded. Um, it sounds really cool. Of course, if you're, listening to the <laughs> if you're listening to any of the things on the iTunes, you'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? We're not going to play it, it's two minutes long. Uh, and no, two you know, two minutes, and you'll have missed it. So if you've got a TARDIS, or if you've got a TARDIS, you can go back in time. And but but essentially, if you're in Manchester, if it is July the sixth, get along to the Printworks. Exciting Star Wars things, yay! Yes, apparently. Mm. So um, shall we talk about some book news? Yes, well we can talk about books. I read a book. I read a book. It was very exciting. I I love books, but but I have an insanely busy life, and I very rarely get a chance to actually finish a book. But I finished a book. Oh. Go on. Uh, it was by Kerry Greenwood. It is uh, Cocaine Blues, which is the first of the uh, Franny Fisher Mysteries series, which she's been writing for about 18 years now or something, uh, and is now a popular television programmer on Australian TV. Um, but I, I've, uh, having got very heavily into the TV series, um, I have uh, been recently gifted on the occasion of my birthday uh, an omnibus collection of the first three books, which is uh, Cocaine Blues and uh, Murder on the Ballarat Train, uh, and another one which I cannot remember the name of right now, um, appallingly. Um, and I have been gifted those, and I have read the first of the uh, three books within the omnibus. Um, and yes, it's quite good. It's, it's different um, from the TV series uh, in a number of uh, subtle ways. There's some slight difference of characterizations. A couple of people have got different names. Um, some people we meet very differently. Uh, and if you watch the TV series um, and are quite keen on it, you're probably aware that there's a difference between some of the major character arcs that are going on. Um, and for the purpose of TV, they've entirely made up a series-long-running arc, uh, which isn't in the books at all. And most intriguingly... There isn't actually um, a murder in the first book. Um, there's there's a couple of attempts at murder, um, to be fair. Um, and you know, if Franny hadn't caught the, the bad person, then then there would have been a murder. Uh, but there actually isn't. But it's it's fine. It's intriguing. TV adaptations mm. of the series are always a bit odd and a bit strange. I've said before on the show that I'd love to see Dragonlance be done because I just think it's modular enough for you to sort of stuff in. Mm. But the thing with the Franny Fisher stuff, for example, she's been going for eighteen years. Yeah. Um, and the, the, it's a different universe. It's a different world entirely, isn't it, on the TV series? Um, it's it's ve- it's very similar, but it is just there are just as I say, subtle and slight differences, especially what they're doing with some of the characters. I don't really want to say too much about that because it is spoilers, people. Spoilers. I have a terrible confession to make. Mm-hmm. I really like the Dresden Files TV show. Mm, oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, and it got me into the Dresden books as well. Mm. And I think partially because they just you know they talked to Jim Butcher and they just changed some of the things to make it more accessible. 
But the, the thing about Fanny Fisher is Kerry Greenwood is on board with the changes they have made. Um, she's sat down with the people who exec produce the TV show and they've talked about the changes they wanted to make and she's like, oh right, okay, yeah, I'm not going to change anything that happens in my future books and I'm not going to go back and be revisionist about the things that have happened in the past, but uh, that's fine and I support what you're doing to the extent that she has a cameo in one of the uh, end of the episode at the end of season one. But isn't it the thing where, you know, if you... You know, 20 years, if you've been writing a book series for 20 years and you've gotten better, clearly, between mm. those 20 years, you've gotten better at writing stories. So you go back and rewrite stuff, then you get a chance to rewrite stuff in the television series. Same with Bitten. A lot of the Bitten fandom were like, oh, they've changed things. It's like, yeah, but it, it, it's better now. It's a better story. Um, I love the way that when we talked to the, the actors in Bitten, they were like, the characters are like this in the books. And they were like, really? Oh, a lot much worse than the TV series, and, <laughs> and the response of the fans was, "Yay!" Do we have to leave now? Uh, we we have to we have to play some more little jingly things, and then we have to wrap up. Okay, so um, we'll be back momentarily after these messages. Yeah. <laughs> Across the world. Hours a day. This is Fat Radio International. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fat Radio International. Next week, I'll probably be talking about William Ditch's books because I've got loads of them to read. You can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, also Mixcloud and iTunes as Radio Bookworm. You can also find us via the Starburst website. Just go to podcasts. Uh, please follow, like, and subscribe to us. Uh, so it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me, producer Al. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>